It is my privilege to have as our guest today, Diana Richardson, the host of a long list of books. Actually, she's the author of a long list of books on human sexuality. She's made a huge contribution. The reason we've asked her to join us for this series is because as many of you know, this series is an attempt to make a contribution towards correcting the worldwide misguided behavior and misguided hypocrisy that we have towards human sexuality. After all, consider human sexuality is like the air we breathe. It's like food. It's like water. It's like defecation and urination. It's a human process which is, which is absolutely necessary for survival of our species. But we have distorted it so markedly for so long that I believe, and I think you're going to hear that today that Diana agrees, that we have created human tragedy around sexuality. We have created what you might even call post-traumatic sexual stress disorder, and something really needs to be done about it. And that's what this series is about. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health and Politics, Diana. Great. Thank you so much, Richard. Really, it's an honor uh, to be here with you and to be invited um, to speak about something which is uh, the ground we walk on. It's like the ground we walk on. Well said. There is so much to talk to you about, but I must begin with something that really caught my interest because and, and, and it's not the major thrust I know of your work. And we're going to get to that. But I've got to talk to you about this one topic. Let's begin then by talking about one of your books, Slow Sex. Okay. In Slow Sex, you actually describe various tactics in order to slow down human sexuality and enjoy it even more. So please, let's go through the uh, tactics and so that our audience can hear exactly what you're prescribing for us. And let's begin with number one, relaxation. Uh, yes, um, Richard, let's do that. But I would like to say that what I'm sharing with people is not actually a technique. It's a little bit like really to be more conscious. So even the to be more conscious in sex, because actually, if you look at it, how we behave, it's pretty mechanical, it's pretty repetitive. Um, and we are lacking in awareness. We're more in patterns and so on. So, in fact, that book, ideally, should be called Conscious Sex. Uh -huh. Because it's when you become conscious, you become slower. So as part of what's going on in the entire field of psychology, this fits right in perfectly because you're talking about presence and awareness and expanding your consciousness around your sexuality. Yes, ab absolutely. And the beauty is if you're more conscious, you slow down and then you get become more sensitive. So then it empowers you and enables you to 
to feel more, to perceive more. And literally, you know, of course, in the body globally, but also in the genitals itself. Um, so relaxation really is uh, the ground. And again, you know, it's it's basic to the whole thing, because if we look at how at our bodies and how we behave sexually normally, it's we, we're very tense. And we really compress our bodies. We tighten the musculature. We tighten um, the genitals. So then what happens is that the, the body energy gets compressed as well. So you can't have expanded experiences. And as expanded experiences, energetically speaking, are what lead to you know, altered states or shifts in, in awareness and consciousness. So that's why, you know, the very first thing is, you know, relax your jaw, relax your shoulders, relax your vagina, mend the anus, the perineum, all places where unconsciously and habitually we tighten up that then limits our perception. So this tightening that you're talking about must be almost universal because we are uptight as a nation in this country about sex. So the men must go into it a tight, you know, am I, am I going to succeed? Am I going to get turned down? Am I going to get an erection? Am I going to maintain my erection? Am I going to satisfy? There must be a lot of tension for everybody, as you're saying, instead of relaxation. Well, that is absolutely correct, uh, Richard. And for men especially, there is a huge performance pressure around the whole erection issue. So it really is a fact that men go into sex with a lot of insecurity, which then is, is not very um, empowering. In fact, it's undermining. And also too much tension is often really the source of premature ejaculation. So in generally speaking, it's not a psychological problem, premature ejaculation. It can be, but generally um, – we're just too tense. Men are just too tense. I mean, women are part of the same picture, so it's true for women too. But with men, there is this tremendous performance pressure. Performance the- pressure, huge. Even the language that's used by professional sexologists adds to the pressure because they talk about achieving an organism, an organ, I mean, an erection, achieving an erection as if it's an achievement, as if like you go out and you do something big and you get this recognition, I achieved an erection, like it's yeah. something you have to work for. Yeah, that's, that's really an astute observation of the language usage. And um, sadly, Men evaluate themselves according to their capacity to get erect and maintain erection. So they then feel themselves as man or less than man. But the penis, he has his own life and his own responses. And so for us, sex equals entry into woman, penetration with erection. But there are so many shades uh, in between that, including non-erection, what I like to call a relaxed penis. And it is totally viable to make love without an erection. Of course, it does involve things like um, knowing how for a woman to, or a man can also do it, uh, insert the penis in its relaxed form. But because of this uh, 
pressure on erection and that sex equals erection or sex can only happen if there is erection, the, the pressure on man is, is really undue. And, you know, like we've both been saying, it's, it's really uh, debilitating. Didn't we also create a huge distortion by teaching us, us men, that we needed to have an erection in order to enjoy sex itself? Because if we think about oral sex, when a man performs, performs, that's an interesting one of those words, performs, I was going to say cunnilingus, licking the woman's vagina, uh, he's really not performing. He's really licking and, and enjoying. But uh, I, I, I wanted to point that out. But when a man does that, he's very often focusing on the clitoris, which is the, the you will tell us more about the clitoris today. But the clitoris is really very small. And so if a woman is reciprocating by licking and sucking on the man's soft penis, even a soft penis is much larger than a clitoris. So it's not like it's an unfair exchange. And yet <laughs> we, we really, when you think about it, right, it's not. The woman's got plenty to suck on, even if it's, a, if it's a flaccid penis. But yet, if it's not erect, both parties are liable to feel badly and maybe louse up the whole ad adventure. Right, because there's this insecurity that you're not exciting each other especially that the woman is not exciting the man. So this is woman's uh, burden is that she's got to be exciting in order to, for the man to respond with an erection. So the whole thing is, is, is very um, mixed up. And the fact is if, you know, you're talking about this oral sex, but actually the people who everybody's focusing on somebody else, they're not focusing on themselves. So and talk that, to us. Talk to us about focusing on yourself. Please. Yeah, and, and this is really foundational if you want to set up a, a more fulfilling, nourishing style of, of sex because what we tend to do is each person is more has got more attention on the other than themselves. So all their awareness is projected outwards. And one can also say that, you know, as a a race of people, we have very little body awareness. We're much more into thinking and using the bodies as a vehicle to move the mind around. But very few people actually have natural body awareness uh, to, to do with our upbringing. Um, many people do work for, uh, and make practices to increase body awareness. But in general, when two people come together for some intimacy, there's like this projection the man is up and out on his partner and the woman is up and out on her on the man so essentially there's what i what i see it as and it's like there's nobody home and so the first step is to get home inside your body and start uh, to increase your body awareness and then move from give the body more space because the body knows it knows what timing and it knows what pace and it knows what rhythm, but we don't trust our bodies. So because we have all this uh, imprinting, you know, that's affected the psyche. So coming home is, is basic and, and 
the way I've been with myself when I was experimenting prior to my writing books and teaching was looking around inside my body, uh, somewhere below the head, for a place that I could easily perceive from the inside. So that could be the vagina itself, it could be the belly, it could be the heart, the breasts, solar plexus, it can actually be anywhere, but a place that acts as an anchor point for the awareness. So if you start from that place, you're much more inside yourself. And then whatever you bring into the situation, into the exchange, is more you. It's more authentic. It's, it's more real. It's not a fantasy or a projection or an idea that many of us are living out uh, in sex. And then when you find yourself thinking, which inevitably happens, uh, you go back and re-anchor yourself in this inner home. And it's, a, it's an ongoing process that you start to get closer to yourself. And this is uh, the strange thing is that we all want to be closer to somebody else, but we don't know how to be close to ourselves. So that is a foundational step is that you start to be closer to yourself. And it's in very simple ways. Like how's I explaining this, um, this inner home also relaxing your body again and again, scanning, using the awareness, scanning your body uh, for tensions. And the body has classic places, you know, jaw, shoulders, solar plexus, belly, genital area, plus the extremities, shoulders and feet and so on. And as soon as we relax these physical parts, even that they're not necessarily directly related to the genitals, there is a global, I mean, global body experience of relaxation. So while I might think that my shoulder is not connected to my vagina, if I relax my shoulder, I do feel something in my vagina. So we tend to divide the body up. Meanwhile, it is one complete organic uh, unity. So yes, Richard, that's the, the first and fundamental thing is your body is the priority. Uh, finding an anchoring in there, scanning, relaxing. And of course, to that, we add the breath, which is a natural bridge, as, as I'm sure you know from your own life and experiences. In breathing other... br breathing is, is my number one tool, Diana. Breathing, right. literally, I have saved my own life in a tragic situation with breathing. Right. I am in 100% agreement with you. Right, right. And it's the, the fastest bridge between mind and body. So what you're talking about is really, in the words of my old friend Bernie Gunther, you're talking about losing your mind and coming to your senses. <laughs> you got it, Richard. I think we sh that's enough. We've said it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, the, but what you're saying is so important for us to hear is this takes time. One must take a few seconds or a few minutes to do what you're talking about, to focus on the body, to expand the awareness, to let ourselves breathe. We're not talking about what my friend Ayelet Waldman called embracing the quickie. We're talking here about embracing the slowy. And it's a yes. very, right. And it's a very different process. Yes. And 
uh, it also takes practice. So it, it does take time to install in one session, let's say, but then it takes practice to maintain and deepen that. And that's why, you know, really suggest for people to make a time to make love, not to leave it in the quickie direction, because then it just is pretty, we think it's spontaneous, but it's just like uh, accidental in a way. And it's again, this quick and you disperse your energy. Whereas really when you slow and you start to contain your energy, uh, you can extend the, the love act uh, for, for considerable periods of time. And this is, let me interrupt you on that word, extend the love act, because I want to underline your words in bright red, extend the love act, because what we are taught and many people, as you well know, learn almost everything they know about sexuality from movies, watching movies. And what we see coming from Hollywood is two people. They're alone in a room. All of a sudden, they're just hot for each other. They rip off each other's clothes. The man penetrates the woman. They go at it for like 90 seconds and then they smoke a cigarette and it's all over. <laughs> right. That's what the, that's what we're taught. That, well, that's you, absolutely. And honestly, I. You know, I watch movies sometimes and it really looks like the, the people are eating each other. Do you know what I mean? They're so on each other. They're kind of like eating each other up. There's no, no self-reflection or self, um, no, no grace or inwardness at all. So the thing is, is, is very unbalanced. <laughs> well, what they're trying to do is teach us that that's what real passion looks like. Right. Where they just go at it like crazy for 90 seconds and then smoke cigarettes. But that's not what's going to sustain a nice long relationship. That might be good for a quickie at a party if that's what you want to do in the in the bathroom. But when you're having what a, a sustained relationship, which is what you're teaching us about, then we have to learn other things. So we talked about relaxation and awareness. And the next thing you talk about in your book is rhythm. So and we talked about breathing. I don't want to forget that also. Tell us something about rhythm, please. Well, one important uh, thing that's different between the male body and the female body. Now, look, I am talking about in generalizations because they're always shades to the whole thing. Is that the female system is much slower than the male system in terms of warming up and opening up uh, to, to a sexual exchange or for women in particular to actually receive a man into her body. And this is something to do with the magnetism. But men, generally speaking, are ready quite quickly, uh, meaning they get an erection quite quickly, whereas women, they really, really want more time or need more time. But it's very rare for a woman to actually say that. And in fact, if she says to a guy, look, slow down and let's just take it easy, a man will often be offended. Uh, but because we behind that is a fear of, of losing the erection because the as soon as the erection is there, let's get in. So there is this. Oh, excuse me, let me interrupt you. Again, you're saying things that are so important that I want to underline them in red. What you just said is critical. 
the man gets an erection, and because of his fear of losing the erection, he immediately wants to poke it in and penetrate and get on with, the, with, with what he's doing. That's so there's right. a pressure on the man to move yes. quickly and penetrate and make use of that erection while he has still, quote, achieved it, unquote. Right, right, right. And then you see the, then to maintain that erection, there's a lot of stimulation needed, a lot of excitement. And this, so this raises the sexual temperature. And that is the problem because as soon as the sexual temperature is raised, then man will ejaculate. And the prevalence of premature ejaculation is extremely high. And, but this really can be addressed by reducing Diana, the sexual temperature. Help, help me with this concept of premature ejaculation. I, I, I've never really understood it because I, it seems to me that the body ejaculates when the body wants to ejaculate. The, the body doesn't like pre-breathe or pre-defecate or pre-urinate. How does it pre-ejaculate? Doesn't it ejaculate exactly on time, every time for what the body wants to do? Well, I think what's happened is because of our imprinting and the, uh, the disturbances that we have, that many men cannot con uh, just spontaneously ejaculate. They come close to a woman or just enter a woman and, and will ejaculate or, you know, two, three minutes down the road will ejaculate. But this is really not adequate time for an exchange of energy and exchange of love to happen. Well, and does the man have to quit after he ejaculates? Is there any rule in heaven that says he can't relax for a few minutes, brush his teeth and then come back and continue? Well, we would hope so. Uh, that would be great. That, that would be great. But it is very undermining and leads to a lot of self-doubt with men. So, so often uh, men will even uh, be reticent about approaching a woman because in the back of his mind is maybe he's going to come too quickly. Uh-huh. And, um, and then he so, doesn't know what to do afterwards. He doesn't know how to continue because, because there is that refractory period that's physiological where he feels complete temporarily well well it is one does lose energy there is a, a disempowerment so one might not be in the position to get going again um or one doesn't feel well enough or the woman is upset but yes i mean in reality well in in theory <laughs> that that's absolutely feasible because the second time around he's more likely to be able to be inside women for a longer period because that initial fizz, you know, the initial insecurity or anxiety has passed. In my experience, I mean, I'm only speaking as one man. And then, of course, I've been interviewing men for 60 years in my clinical practice. Uh, the sensation of the penis after ejaculation does decrease. There isn't that heightened sensation. But depending on your age, there's still plenty of sensation if you want to continue and not consider that the end. Yes. But you're, but you're bringing in these psychological factors, which are enormous because of the man. Then after that ejaculation doesn't, quote, achieve an erection again, he's liable to feel 
impotent and like, oh, what's the use and why go on? Because all I have is a soft on instead of a hard on. Right. Right. Absolutely. And um, a lot of men do lose energy. You know, it is a known fact. Yes. Once you've ejaculated, there is a loss of energy. There's also, and this is really something that we don't pay much attention to. And that is that after what what we call, when I say we, my partner and I, and we teach and we talk about this peak and discharge. So we have this profound belief that sex equals having a peak. Now, when you have a peak, there is a discharge after. And accompanying that is a sense of disconnection. Very, mm -hmm. very common. Mm -hmm. That this thing that you were like so plugged into and so involved with, no matter how many minutes from entry along, it could be half an hour, it could be three minutes, whatever. It's just suddenly this connection is gone. And it is a bit bizarre. Like I was saying, you're so plugged in and so involved, and then it's like dissipated. So there is a loss of energy and a dis uh, through the discharging. Well, we certainly see what you're describing in the barnyard animals, because after they copulate, they immediately walk away from each other. And I see that with the chickens. I see it with my dogs. I see it with horses and cows, that sense of disconnection that you're talking about. Well, also with animals, it's just a biological Yes, situation. but in our case, we can learn to stay connected, to put Absolutely. a head on the other person's chest and, and embrace and lay Absolutely. there and savor, can't we? Yes, absolutely. And, and these are so important, these uh, to not repair, but to, to create an atmosphere afterwards, because we tend to just look like, how was the peak? Was it great? Was it not great? Or we don't look at the after effects. And it's very important to, as you say, be connected, stay together, um, lie together, eye contact, breathe, or do something or be in some way together that is connected. This is tremendously healing. Say something to us about the importance of eye contact. Well, When the eyes are open, you know who you're with and you know what you're doing. Again, I speak in generalizations, but they are true for most people. Sex happens in a dark room with closed eyes. And that has a place for sure. Uh, however, with closed eyes, you're not really that present. Your mind can drift off also into fantasy. Now, fantasy has become a tremendous fuel for for sex, especially for men to, to get an erection or to come, and also for women, if they want to come, they have a little fantasy. So if you have the eyes open, this means, you know, you're connecting through the eyes, you hear, this is the person you're uh, making love with, and the level of uh, presence and awareness is greatly enhanced, and, of course, bonding. So when I started myself and that, you know, I started this whole thing, well, now I'm 68, I think I was like 31, 32. And when I started with the eyes, I found I had to change the way I looked. In other words, I wasn't looking out my eyes, I was looking into my eyes, meaning I had to develop the capacity to receive through my eyes, not project out 
through my eyes. And in fact, that's how the eyes are designed. We don't have to do anything to see, we see. However, we always kind of push out through the eyes. When we look at something, we look instead of letting it come to you. So it's a little bit like inverting uh, your vision and letting things come to you. And this also has a penetrating effect on the body energy and uh, the intimacy. And then looking at the other person's eyes, particularly after the sexual act itself, maintains the contact, doesn't it? Yes, and also during. Also and during, during, and during. Yes, question, yes. question here. Where is it written up in the sky? I can't see it written up there that sex needs to be something that go, takes place in the dark. You said something that's, that is true for the entire world, that most often sex takes place in the dark. Why? Who, who, who got us going on that sex taking place in the dark? Is that another one of our terrible myths that's doing us a lot of damage? Well, I think people are generally, there's some shame about bodies and oh. this kind of a thing. And sex is associated with nighttime. So, 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 we're, so, so we're going back to the Garden of Eden and, Eden and the shame over the genitals being exposed. Yes, quite possibly. Um, so it's more, more comfortable, you know, just lean over, switch off the light, and then you feel more free. But making love in the, in the daytime is glorious, and the morning and the afternoon and the nighttime. But, you know, a candlelight will do. Oh, full floodlights. You know, I can, I can only tell you sadly, Diana, how many couples I've worked with in my 60-year career who have never seen each other naked in the bedroom. Well, Richard, I have heard that from a few people that have passed my way. Yes. And it is astounding. It's it astounding. Is it's astounding. the saddest thing. And it comes from deep, misguided training, and it comes from deep insecurity and an unwillingness to show oneself to the other for fear that they'll find something wrong, which, of course, is a projection from the inner self that we're finding something wrong with ourselves. So therefore, we're assuming the other person is going to find those flaws and see them. And so they remain in the dark, literally in the dark for their right. entire married lives. Right, right. And then... There's so many layers because we get this beauty ideal, especially for women, how we're meant to look. We enhance our bodies, which is all external, uh, to, to, be, to be provocative and so on. So the whole thing is very mixed up. And the thing is, you've used the word we kind of misguided, but the thing is there is no guidance. The there only is no. guidance is, as you say, we see it in the movies and pornography. And that is, since the age of the internet, it really, really is uh, in the field with young boys. They're girls too, but, but boys. And boys are starting really young, from what I understand, through research and so on. Uh, 11, 12, even younger. They're looking they at pornography at that young age. And do you have some information to share on what the effect of watching that pornography is having on their sex lives? Well, the thing is, it's, it's totally unrealistic. What you see in porno is unrealistic. What I have heard is that erectile dysfunction in 
men is now starting to happen in boys 19, 20, 21, whereas classically it is more, say, 50s or something like this. So this, um, a lot of stimulation either in masturbation or in actual sex, this desensitizes the penis. So you were, we were talking earlier about the penis and its sensitivity. Too much sensation for the penis is is not good for the tissues and its erectile responses. You so, know, for the first time, I'm thinking in our conversation here that for these young boys to be watching pornography is uh, and, and then comparing themselves to what they're watching is sort of like young boys watching Olympic athletes and then comparing themselves on the playing field to those athletes. Because in pornography, what they're watching is people who are hired for the express purpose of having some special ability, such as either being able to have sex with 10 men in a row if it's a woman, or be a man being able to have an erection that's four yards long and being able to keep it for, you know, three hours. But And of course, given the bell curve, there are going to be men and women who are like that, and you can find them and put them on these movies. But that doesn't mean that's what the average person can do any more than the average person can't be an Olympic athlete or a professional baseballer or a football player. Right. That's absolutely correct, Richard. And um, also, as far as pornography in women, then women think they need to have that happen to their bodies. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's also, uh, you know, from the other side. So from boys, there's this huge thing. They've got to live up to that. And then for, for girls, it's, uh, we, we have to allow that, or this is what actually happens to our bodies and sex. And, and this is um, really so sad because we, you know, our body is relatively pure. It's our psyche that has been disturbed uh, in, in these ways, like say movies, uh, also the shame and the guilt that nobody talks openly about sex and uh, pornography and so on. So we are imprinted. And the biggest problem with the imprinting is that we think it's all about the peak. All about the peak. All mm -hmm. about the peak. Mm -hmm. So when we get together, we do everything we can to get to that peak, which involves a lot of raising the sexual temperature, uh, the intensity. And people think that sex has to be intense, but actually sex can be something very uh, relaxed and languid and lovely and sensual. And one becomes very sensitive. So the, the real problem in sex is that that peak, that orgasm or ejaculation has become a goal. And if you, having a goal puts us in the future, even if it's a millisecond. So I know before I changed the way I made love, it was always the next penetration or the next thrust I was interested in, not in this one, because that next thrust is another little step up the ladder to the top of the mountain. To the peak. Exactly. <laughs> you got it. Uh -huh. And um, so that if we are in the future, it means that on a ground foundational level, we are absent. And that is the problem. So there's not a problem that, yes, we do like peaks. It's 
the problem is that we just go for a peak as a goal, we're ahead of ourselves, and we're absent. And that is what makes a difference to the quality of, of the sexual exchange. So your book, in, uh, this particular book, I should say, ha- has these various chapters, relaxation, awareness, rhythm, pleasure, thought, the sacred, and the story. And I hear what you're telling us is that the beginning, starting with the relaxation and the awareness and being present are the critical foundation. Is that correct? That is correct. And from there, everything flows. Absolutely. So, really, so what you were really advising people, all of us, is in the beginning of the sexual act to really take time to relax, to find our bodies, to in- expand our awareness and let our natural rhythms flow together. This should not be a, a rush job. The sex is something that we need to, as you say, slow sex. Yes. Yes, Richard. Uh, as soon as one comes into it with more awareness and presence, it just totally changes mm-hmm. the constellation. You know, the, 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 how to say, the ingredients are the same, meaning we've got two bodies, a penis and a vagina, but the constellation uh, is something entirely different. And how you feel afterwards, and having a peak is a choice, now, we mentioned in, you know, the, the impact of pornography, and pornography in recent times has been pushing anal sex. Would you uh, comment on anal sex for us? Well, I've, I need to say that my experience is heterosexual. And so I teach heterosexual. And, of course, any couple, regardless of, what combination it is gender-wise, if they bring these qualities in and these inquiries in, they will change the whole, you know, how how the sex act, the quality of the sex act. As far as anal sex, I mean, look, it is an option. But from my vision, it's that the penis and the vagina, they have a magnetic relationship. And I don't know if that same magnetic relationship exists between a penis and an anus. Is the anus an erogenous zone, Diana? Yes, it is. It it is. It is used for stimulation. It is an erogenous zone. Yeah. And not for everybody. Uh Uh-huh. But but for for some people. Uh Uh-huh. But it is a fact that I, I think because of it's become more and more popular because it's not so personal. Uh-huh. Person is facing the other way. Say, for instance, it's also perhaps more stimulating that keeps erection. I really don't know. I'm just kind of guessing now. Thank you. Thank you. You, but, you mentioned position. Are there positions that uh, that you and your husband particularly recommend for couples, or is that a matter of a variation? What, what would you want to say about position during sex? Well, I've got a whole chapter in most of my books about positions, and, yeah. and I call them rotating positions. It's really good to change position. Uh, not so much 
okay, we're doing the missionary, let's disconnect and let's try another position. But it's more you let the bodies roll together. If the penis stays inside and you roll around and adjust your positions, uh, you can come to a whole range of, of, of different positions. There is a nice position, which is a side position known as the scissors position, which is quite a good way to start because for man, he's usually on top. We recommend that women goes on top because the moment you're on top, you feel you've got to do something. So it's a tremendous burden. And I noticed when I started to be more consciously on top was like, oh my God, I've got to do something now. And imagine how man feels. He's up there and he feels he's got to do something. So this is also why man is very much into doing. So anyway, back to positions is the side position. The scissors position is really good in the sense um, man is lying down on his back actually more on his side, women's mm -hmm. more on his back, and you can mm -hmm. weave the legs in. And mm -hmm. that's a handy position for entry if there is erection or mm -hmm. for entry uh, if you learn to put the penis in in a relaxed, you know, in, in its relaxed state. Mm -hmm. So positions are good, um, especially because it changes your presence. So uh -huh. if you get a bit, a bit, get a bit like sleepy or you know, like fading out a little bit in one position, you just make an adjustment and you've got a new position and then boom, you're back again. So that is really the, the beauty of positions is that each time you make a shift, uh, you're more present. I'm going to segue now, uh, Diana, to one of your other books that I very much want to talk about. You wrote an entire book about female orgasm. So please... Talk to us. Take it from the top. Talk to us. <laughs> talk to yeah, us. Yeah. Talk to us about female orgasm. Yeah. It's it's my book is called Tantric Orgasm for Women. And it's, you know, the title is always a delicate thing, the title of a book. It is not to be the title is not that woman has to have an orgasm, but the fact is many women don't have an orgasm. It's it's as easily as a man does, many women struggle to have an orgasm. For the whole life, they won't have a vaginal orgasm. So they, they can uh, get it more through the clitoris. But we're back to this body magnetism. And you see, in the female body, we, we, the, the, the clitoris is seen as the center of female sexuality. It's how women get excited. But this is a very superficial uh, level of excitement. In fact, it imbues in the vagina kind of a tension and a hunger and a, a demand. And sometimes even it almost gets achy because there's too much tension being built into the vagina. The real center or the real way women's body is deeply opened or is through the breasts. So this is, it's the breasts are the access to women's more uh, deeper orgasmic experiences. So when I talk about the breast, I'm not talking about, you know, heavy duty stimulation of the nipples or anything, but more like caressing and loving and holding and especially women to, to enter into their, breasts uh, with awareness. And this is actually what opens up the female body 
on a deeper level. And this has a, 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 an overflow when the, the breasts are engaged, this overflows into the vagina and makes her in this cavity into a really receptive organ that she can absorb uh, the male or the male energy. And then when women is really receptive and able to take man's energy into her, this really elevates the quality of the exchange. So oh. that is in a short, you know, summary of that it's important for us as women and men to take the emphasis away from the clitoris, rather engage her in, in a, at a later stage, but for women's body needs time and women needs to ask for that and man granted during that time, man, man might lose his initial erection, which is why the woman lets him get in quickly, you know, as we were talking early, but he might lose his initial erection. But then usually if a couple stay together in, in presence and connection through love and erection will return. And often in my, in my courses, I, I say to, to the men who has experienced that an erection out of love and presence, and honestly, most of the men, 99% will raise their hands. So men know that if, if the surrounding is right, the atmosphere is right, the body will respond in this organic way. And that kind of an erection is sustainable. You it's know, it, I, I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah, it's sustainable in the sense of it's a, an erection that's coming from the inside out, uh, that's coming through presence and awareness, uh -huh. and it doesn't need so much stimulation to, to keep it going. You know, in my life, I have a hard time uh, finding my keys and my glasses very often. And, and sometimes it can take what seems like an inordinate amount of time to find my keys or my glasses, especially if my wife and I are going someplace and I'm looking for my glasses the last minute and I can't find them. And I would get very annoyed saying to my wife, I've lost my glasses or I've lost my keys. And then one day it occurred to me, I haven't really lost them because they're in the house. So maybe it would be better if I said, darling, I've misplaced them. By putting the emphasis on misplaced instead of lost, I feel better because, right. mi because misplaced means I'm going to find them. They're around somewhere, whereas lost means I may never find them again, and which is, thre <laughs> which is threatening because it's so inconvenient. Right. I, wa I wonder if we may do the same thing with erection. Maybe we men do not lose our erections. Maybe we need another word that indicates we don't have it at the particular moment, but it is going to come back. We haven't lost it forever. Right. That, that is really a very beautiful <laughs> analogy comparing those two things. It's absolutely correct. Let's see, if we, let's see if you and I can come up with a word. If not during this interview, we'll stay in touch after and come right. up with a word that signifies I, the male is no longer erect, but sure as heck he will be again. Right. Yes, I mean, also what I have observed is that men do not really consider their penis a penis unless it's erect. When it's non-erect, when it's relaxed, they're always a little bit ashamed. 
Well, I can certainly relate to that based on my personal experience and, and my experience in talking with other men over many decades. I, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom and truth in what you're saying, that and, we have and- become so identified with this phallus standing up, whether it be in sculpture, in pictures, in pornography, whoever else, that that is a penis, whereas right. that is not a, that is just a hanging piece of flesh of some sort. Right. And I think this is really a, a, an important shift for men to start to value their penis as a penis in whatever form he is. Yes, whatever form. And because if you don't feel that's your penis, then there's this inner disconnect, which is very disempowering, whereas it's very helpful. That's why the perineum area is so important for a man to keep bringing awareness there while he's making love, but also as you stand, as you walk, as you drive, as you're talking to people, because this invests that whole pelvic floor. And like the perineum, we can save, I mean, I'm sure you've done it, but if you follow the musculature back, into the body of the penis, you'll see it arises from the perineum. So it's like the perineum is is the root. And if men can start investing that area with with awareness and with loving attention or mindfulness, which is a very popular word these days, that will be a tremendous uh, support for a man. But yes, (laughs) we haven't misplaced our erections. We haven't lost them, but our penis is relaxing. Yes, maybe misplaced would be the word. By the way, a little note here for all of you bicycle riders that are involved with this lovely interview. When you use the skinny bicycle seat on a modern uh, thin tired bicycle, that skinny bicycle seat goes right up into the perineum. And when you go for a long bicycle ride, it actually can desensitize that area. And in some cases, it's been known to do damage to the nerves in that area, which is not a good thing. So that's a little warning to everybody. Oh, right. Very good point, Richard. And I've also heard for women who cyclists that these saddles are really, really painful. Yes, they can be very painful. Also the labia and the entrance to the vagina. Do do you know from your studies, why is it that more women than men have difficulty having an orgasm? How How did this curse come about and who put it on the women to have this happen to them? Well, I think it's simply because women's body needs more time to warm up. If women's body is given the space for her to open and actually feel like she wants to engage, this makes a huge difference. So many women are crossing their own boundaries. And again, in my groups, and I also do, I work with couples, but uh, with women too, which of you women would like to ask your man for more time? And every single woman will raise her hand. So the time thing is, is is just too short. Uh-huh. Uh, for women to, to raise the sensation enough. And another aspect is that the clitoris can give a superficial kind of orgasm, but the real deeper one comes through, through accessing the breasts and allowing this then uh, to filter down and, and open the body and the vagina. So there's many things in there. And uh, yeah, yeah. Seems to me, Diana, if women 
as you say, and I believe you're accurate from everything I've researched, that women need more time in order to come to uh, orgasm, and they need more time than men, then I would say that we customers have a right to mail in a complaint to the manufacturer because, <laughs> because something was, 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 was manufactured incorrectly. Otherwise, we'd all be coming at the exact same time. So we, we've, got a, we've got a consumer complaint going on here. We'll make note of that. <laughs> Great, Richard. <laughs> so let's move on to another one of your important books. And, and, and I say another one because you've written so many. And, and for the yeah, people, you really lo- need to look up Diana Richardson uh, on the Google and, and, uh, and see how many books she's written. I'm sure that at least one or two of them will be of interest to every single one of you, as it has been uh, to me. And I'm saying that sincerely, not simply as a commercial. I'm not in any way financially involved with Diana Richardson uh, on these books. Um, Slow, cool. You have a book, Cool Sex. I want you to talk to us about cool sex. Well, yes, I will. Look, this is a book I wrote uh, relatively recently. Um, It's for younger adults. Now, essentially, it's the same material that that I do for the adult books. It's just more in condensed form. And the idea of cool sex is about the sexual temperature, Richard, because that is the problem, is that we have this idea sex has got to be hot and the hotter the better. But the, to make sex, each uh, exchange to last longer, we need to cool down. And... Uh, not push the bodies. What we tend to do is as soon as we feel a little excitement, we just build on that and build on that until we come to a peak. So cool sex or cooler sex uh, is about changing one's mind that sex doesn't need to be hot. It's a matter of uh, reducing sexual temperature. And for the young people, this is so helpful. Uh, for their lives, especially as they more impacted with pornography uh, than than you or I. I mean, I. What is different? I don't know how it was we, <clears throat> for you, but I had sex before I saw sex. Oh, it was definitely true for me. Yeah. Now that is a huge, huge difference to seeing sex and then having sex. In fact, I had sex for decades before I saw sex. Because I'm 83 years old, so there there was no such a thing. The the closest I came to seeing sex growing up was the Sears Roebuck catalog. (laughs) Yeah, and I grew up on a farm and, and, you know, you see the bulls and the cows and all this kind of stuff, but that's just nature. You don't relate that actually to to human beings. So, yes, well, you're very sprightly for 83, Richard. Well, thank you. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I think that makes a huge difference. So soon people who grew up in, in your and my kind of circumstances or age, uh, there's soon going to be no people on the planet. Well, cert- you know, in the Western world anyway, that have have sex before they see sex. So it is a tremendous loss of ex, uh, of innocence around sex. And this is what is so sad. 
because they're being so influenced by these pictures and by these movies that they're seeing uh, rather than coming about it in some other way. But as I'm listening to you, Diana, I'm more and more thinking what I've thought about for many years, which is the material in your books really deserves to be taught to people in high school or maybe even junior high school, because you're teaching about a very essential human function that is part of the entire world on a daily basis. And there's no guidebook. I mean, you get a television, you get a phone, everything you get, there's a manual. And here we get this amazing thing and there's no instruction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Richard. Look, I would love that book to be included in, in school. Uh, they're not itineraries, what they call, anyway, school curriculum. Um, it has not been picked up. Interestingly, here in Europe, where I've been working for a long time, there are some churches that have started, uh, they have like Sunday schools and, and so on uh, for, for younger people from the church, and they have started using my books to teach them. But I've been waiting. I've had all kind of diplomats and ambassadors in my groups, but I didn't get any education minister from any country yet. Not <laughs> because, yet. Because that's really where it needs to, to start. The younger, the better. I would say if I was looking to spread your books in a way for early education, I would go to the Scandinavian countries. I think they may be the best bet for your books. Uh, in, 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 in secondary education, because they are an advanced uh, group yes. in, in many ways. Um, are people around the world making an error by saving their sexual activity for when they get into bed at night? Well, I think it, it, it really is good to bring change into the situation and, and to do other times of the day. It's just your... I mean, I asked that, Diana, because at the end of the day, after a full work day and then dinner, uh, we're tired. Well, that's right, Richard. Absolutely. Often a couple of glasses of wine. So right? we are not we're not at the optimum. We're digesting uh, um, our days or our minds full of the day. Um, no, and that is definitely a really, really good reason to make love earlier in the day. Then you're you're body is just more fresh and more free and not impacted by the thoughts of the day. So that's absolutely spot on. Well, I, I really appreciate your comment a moment ago about uh, having ministers of education become aware of your work, because uh, this seems to me, uh, you know, where the action really is. We've, get the, we've got to get the educational people on board to start teaching us when we're young about right. about this the this material and this very important material that you're uh, are bringing to our attention. Um, it, we're coming to the end of our time now. The hour's about up. Take a moment and reflect. Is there anything else you'd like to bring to our attention uh, about the human sexual condition, sexual behavior? Have we missed anything critical? Because I I, I always say uh, to myself at the end, uh, uh, something like, you know, if I were leaving right now and driving away in my car and all of a sudden I think, gee, I wish I would have said that to Diana. 
right? Well, we're going to do that right now. We're not driving away in our car. We have a moment to reflect. What is it that that we might, uh, we talked about relaxation, awareness, expansion, about performance anxiety of the penis, about women and relaxation, the importance of preparation, taking their time, cool sex. Uh, We talked about pornography and the the impact it's having on people. Is there something that, uh, some little tidbit perhaps that you might want (laughs) to? Well, I'm sure there's 101 tidbits because it's such an interesting subject and there's so many little angles on the whole thing. But I do feel we've covered a lot and you've been so great and really um, great to, you know, how you process things and bring in your own experience. And so for now I'm feeling, yeah, I think we've done well. We've done well. There was one small little thing with the eyes that I wanted to say earlier was not to try and look in both eyes at the same time, rather uh, one eye or the other eye. So you're not dashing back and forth uh, from oh, one oh. eye to the other. Oh, thank you for that. Look yeah. look with one eye at the other person at no, a time. Look, in, look into one eye. Look into one. Eyes. Look into one of the yeah. person's one eye at a time. Right. You can change it, not flick back, back and forth. Um, because if you try and look at both eyes at once, you get this mesmeric kind of effect, which is not great. And the other thing is about men and ejaculation is that it's very popular and you read it in certain books or that men to try and prolong the sexual act, they control their ejaculation meaning they build up the intensity and just before the point of no return, they stop and relax and repress that tension in a way, that excitement, and then they build it up and then push it down and up yes. and push it yes. down. Yes, oh, yes. And, and we do not recommend that because it creates a lot of heat and congestion in the genitals itself. Oh. Yes, oh. so, oh. so that, that you will read about. Uh, often it's a Taoist technique and other people propose that, but definitely that is to be avoided. When we talk about relaxation and uh, reducing sexual temperature, it's more to stay in a cooler zone generally. So you don't actually come to the point that you're going to come. So you don't want us to practice what's called retrograde ejaculation, where you literally pull the supposedly some swamis up in the mountains somewhere are able to start to ejaculate and then suck it back into their penis. I don't know. I've never met anybody who's able to do it, but I've read about it. Uh, But what you're saying is it has an actual temperature effect on the testicles and the penis by doing that? Uh, Congesting. Congesting. And, And builds a lot of heat and tension into the prostate area. Oh, so, you know, by building it up, repressing, building up, repressing, building up and trying yes. to delay, uh, it's it's not so healthy. So well, this I, is I, fascinating. I'm going to talk to some of my urology friends about that, because we do have almost an epidemic of prostate cancer uh, going right. on in this country. Right. Now, I can't say that there's any relationship. Yes. 
But you're naturally. pointing out something that, that but that's a... there is something going on with mm-hmm. ejaculation. Mm-hmm. And so our approach, you know, in my books and uh, when I teach with my partner is if ejaculation is present, if it's coming, just let it through. Okay, wish I but, would have known that 50 years ago when every time I was about to come, I'd start thinking about baseball games as a way to pull right. <laughs> right. So uh, it's more about keeping the sexual temperature generally cooler, that you can remain engaged and everything, but not to push it. And if, if it goes over a certain temperature where you're going to come, please come. So that is one thing I would like to close on, Richard. Thank you very much, Diana Richardson. It's been a wonderful interview. And (laughs) I I will follow your career next time you come up with a book. We'll have you back on the program. Okay, I think I'm done with books, Richard. Are you? Well, I could keep writing, but you know, it's a lot of discipline and too many hours at the computer. So I've decided to uh, gracefully lay down my (laughs) tools. <laughs> well, maybe we'll just have you on just for the fun of it then and review some of your other books. Well, that'd been, be lovely. It's been delightful. Thank you very much. Well, it's bless a, you, Richard. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Oh,